Aloha, the nobody who's listening to me right this second. <laughs> uh, but soon, I'm sure this, this room will be filling up with people. I hope you can hear me when you do. And um, I, uh, I said I, it, there was like one of those little one minute things that we do, you know, like in 59 seconds, say something deep. Um, one of them was about what do I think my existence is for? Why do I exist, essentially? And I gave a short answer and said I would talk more about it in a couple of weeks. And then uh, here we are, like, maybe a couple of months later. <laughs> Happy New Year, everyone. An anonymous listener asks, what do you believe is your reason to exist? And I got to tell you, that is a great, straightforward question with a very convoluted tentacle monster of an answer with paradoxical... Um, this is a reason, this is not a reason, kind of, you know, sort of seemingly conflicting, but not a um, bunch of answers to it. So perhaps I will turn your great question into a moderately satisfying uh, episode later this week or next week. But I'll leave you with this tantalizing bit, uh, which is that all things that can exist do exist, and I am one of them. Uh, so... There's a reason. All right. Thank you for your question. I know that sucks as an answer, and um, I will give you more in a longer episode. So thanks for giving me fuel for thought. So I want to talk a little bit about existence and meaning, and then if anyone out there uh, cares to join me, feel free to jump in. There are different ways, of course, of looking at the question of what is existence, first of all, and why one exists. And I think in the most pulled back, deeply true perspective, which is non-dual, which means timeless, it is a fact that um, everything that can exist, exists, will exist. And uh, in terms of our universe, that means anything that sort of conforms to the rules of this year place physics and the such will exist. And then the rest will come up as imagination. Um, you can make an argument that everything exists in all sorts of, you know, infinite multiple universes and blah, blah. I don't make that argument. <laughs> I make the argument that we don't need that. Uh, that's what imagination is for. Not that there isn't a multiverse, but that, that multiverse isn't just, you know, to me, saying that any decision you don't make is being represented by another carbon copy version of you in another universe infinitely. It's just a really the most grandiose way of saying the world revolves around me. Right? So in that larger sense, anything that can exist will exist, but within time, that's the timeless perspective, but within time, of course, we all want to find our personal meaning, our personal reason for existing. Um, because the self, you, me, we are, uh, if nothing else, seekers, seekers of, of that seekers of all sorts of things. I mean, the most basic thing we seek is like food, shelter, companionship, whatever, you know, the basics. And then from there we, we go off into spirituality and the such and, um, these deeper questions. Um, but I actually had a little experience last week that 
challenges that notion that that is in fact the healthy, correct way to be. Um, not that I necessarily needed this um, experience to happen logically, but I mean, even I need a wake up call out of my own logical, like, yeah, yeah, I already know this um, way of being. And so the experience was really simple. I'm sitting in my easy chair watching whatever crap is on Netflix. And uh, what ran through my mind all of a sudden very quickly was just, I'm alive. That was it. Two words. I'm alive. But those two words and with those two words sort of woke me up out of myself or perhaps into myself, however that works. Uh, I was aware. I was aware that I was uh, seeing through glasses. I was aware that my eyeballs, I was seeing through eyeballs that were seeing through glasses. I was aware that most importantly, that everything that I was doing, which at the time wasn't much, like I said, I was just sort of vegging out to Netflix and whatever thoughts were running through my head were running through my head. But that was all wiped away. Like all of the stuff that we take for granted as normal consensus consciousness, um, waking consciousness was just kind of momentarily wiped away. I want to say called into question, but really, uh, the calling into question of it was, was inherent to it being wiped away. And I was brought back to the only thing that I actually do quote unquote know, which is I'm alive. And I, I asked on Facebook, has anyone had an experience like this? And a bunch of people knew what I was talking about and had had it. And, um, you know, it gets framed as, or it was framed at least in one case as something that's sort of, uh, I don't know, obliterating or like a big deal, you know? And to me, it's, I've had bigger deals. Let's put it that way. Let's put it that way. But if you've never had that, that is a big deal. And, um, and honestly, even though I'm saying I've had bigger deals, they're all versions of the same deal. So really, in, in a sense, it's the biggest deal of them all is to be able to question who are you? Um, why do you exist? That sort of thing. But then to have it like just come upon you, I'm alive, you know, just have these two words, I'm alive, pop into your mind in such a fashion that it really does like jolt you awake to, oh, right. So even the stuff that I think is normal isn't normal, like isn't healthy or something. Like we call it waking up, right? We call these like spiritual enlightenment experiences or epiphanies or something. But really, I mean, those are nice words, but it really is calling attention to something fundamental, which is our normal day-to-day self is unhealthy, is not the correct way to be, and that there is a correct way. And, you know, part of the problem in saying that, of course, is that people who say such things are usually religious zealots or some sort of uh, strict, you know, authoritarian types. Um, and so as a result of that, we have given ourselves a reprieve through post-modernity, which, you know, part of which says like, oh, nothing is, whatever you want to be real is real. There is no such thing as truth with a capital T. It's all just your perspective, you know, your reality tunnel, and your paradigm and all that stuff. 
And that's false. Uh, both are false. The authoritarian dictatorship is false, and that's false. And you only know that in the moments that you live it, such as when suddenly you are uh, thrust into hyper-self-awareness just by realizing that you're alive and that that's all you know. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. Have you ever had a situation like that? It's interesting because I, as someone who has who has had the, the death of self experience or experiences, various phases of that, let's say, you know, I'm still uh, clinging on to me essentially. I'm still here. I'm still functioning in the world and all of that. And it's very easy to fall back asleep in the land of poppies. And I guess every now and then even I need the wake up call. Um, but not just the wake up call because that's easy. That's something that sort of comes out of nowhere and acts as a reminder, but that I also have to do the work of waking up or remaining awake or whatever. Um, Whatever that is, I got to get back to it because the other thing, and I think I might have talked about this on here. Maybe it was just on my podcast hour and doing radio cheap plug. Um, but the other thing that's been happening in the last couple of years is this, or last year really, um, this uh, creeping fear of death that comes over me before I go to sleep. Like physically, I'm going to die, and what if there's nothing? Um, so even for someone who knows. That there is what there is, uh, or at least a version of what there is, and talks about all this stuff and, you know, death of self and blah, you know, all this stuff that I do. I still have to do the work, uh, that, that you would, or, you know, presuming that you are not, uh, someone in that, the same situation that I'm in. Um, it's just a, you know, it's like fractals, right? It's like the same but different. Fractally, uh, you know, it, it it's, <laughs> I don't know. It's like, you know, when you beat a video game, not even levels of a video game, but like when you beat a video game and then you play again and if you play better, there's a different ending. Uh, when you play again, there's additional bonus content in the very same levels that you just played. So the levels are the same, but they're more expansive. There may be a different ending, but they're the same levels. Things may get a little bit more difficult in spots, but they're the same levels. Just tweaked, right? That's what this is. That's what, quote-unquote, spirituality is. And we've turned that into hierarchy. And in fact, we would rather say, oh, it's like a video game in terms of levels. You're on level one. I'm on level two or three or four or five or whatever it is. But it's not that. All those levels are are not actually levels <laughs> at all. Uh, they're just, you know, in the what is. They're all just, um, you know, uh, what, what would you call it? Strokes in the painting? Um, but the painting is the painting. And so good for me if I can see other strokes and you can see these strokes. Th those are just perspectives from wherever you are on the canvas. Anywho, that's that. And it's interesting to me, too, because I'm involved in this UFO stuff, right? I do uh, – once a month I host Dreamland with Whitley Strieber. Well, it's not Whitley Strieber hosting it. It's me. And 
to talk to experiencers of high strangeness and researchers and all this. And, you know, all kinds of stuff, not just ufology, but that's my, that's sort of where I land, generally. Um, and it's interesting to see how, you know, how many people, you know, especially since 2017, have gotten into ufology because of the New York Times or New York, New Yorker, or both articles. Um, New York Magazine, was it? I don't know. New York something, but definitely the New York Times and then some other. Um, have these articles on what the government, you know, the Navy may know or the footage they may have. And then the footage comes out and, you know, it's all this obviously coordinated stuff that for some reason, the people who claim to have a better eagle eye for the truth, when they're handed to them, the very thing that they've always wanted, they certainly lose all discernment and go, oh, amazing. I knew it was just like this. I'm now going to trust the very people I've been railing against my entire life, the uh, the government. But anyway, uh, so, but nevertheless, this attracts new people and it attracts them to a certain way of looking at UFOs and all of that, which is to say, of course, that, well, the government likes to say, we don't know what it is. It's phenomena. That way we can perpetually ask for, you know, money to build weapons against phenomena. But wink, wink, nudge, nudge, you and I know that this phenomena is aliens. And uh, we want disclosure about aliens. And so this idea of answering the unknowable, and definitely the unknown, let's say, perhaps the unknowable, it's a mystery. Whatever these UFOs and related phenomena are, any high strangeness phenomena, even if it presents itself as something in particular, like a ghost or you know, an alien or something. We don't really know what that is. We know what it is either presented as and or um, the lens through which we view it, how we interpret it as it's coming to us, because you can't know the the unknowable. You can, you can only put a cultural filter on it to be able to perceive it. Otherwise, it's completely invisible to you. But we forget that, and then we, we believe in it, and then we start investing uh, all of our energy, if if we care to, if we don't just brush it off, into this thing that we forgot was our belief about it. Uh, we just sort of swept over the, the belief part and went right to, this is what it is, it's aliens, and the government obviously knows something, and we must know what they know. Um, but, uh, you know, that person doing that, just like me sitting there watching Netflix last week, the only thing that we know is I'm alive. And you only know how deep that is when it strikes you dead. You, the, the, the personal construct in your life as you sit or stand. And when that happens, like you just see, again, it's just a reminder of how much we, all energy we waste on being ourselves and ourselves is not a real thing. Yourself is not a real thing. Neither is myself. It is the essentially at this point, the defense mechanism that greets the world uh, defense against fear of annihilation, which is the unknowable death. You could say death, um, but I choose annihilation because I think that's, uh, we've already covered over death by saying, oh, but you go on in an afterlife, right? Many of us. Or 
You don't. Or the atheist who says nothing happens. We already know this, all right? I know this in my heart of hearts. Nothing happens or God happens. Or you, you know, float around the earth as an ancestor or something. So when you say death, we've already conjured an answer. But so let's stick to annihilation when, you know, this sense of self is alive, you know, is representing the body, which is alive, living, and we're not satisfied with that. <laughs> so the self has to go do something. It's got to do something else. It's got to start seeking, uh, you know, covering up its fear with answers, with more answers. Um, and so how is that person, any of us, to um, even question, like, what this enigmatic other is, this mystery this unknown, perhaps unknowable UFO or ghost or what a alien, you know, whatever it is, you know, crazy Bigfoot paranormal type sightings, um, anything that, that smacks of uh, having a sort of a half-assed answer to it, but not really, when you look at it deeply, not really fulfilling the definition that we've put onto it. Um, not, I, I guess what I'm getting to is like, not even do we have a right to ask, uh, what those things are, but are we capable? Is this person capable or do we have to be our authentic, whole, healthy self before we can ever begin to understand another? And you can see this is a self-answering question especially when you just take a look at how we treat each other. Somebody had posted on Twitter, uh, some author uh, had posted on Twitter, you know, what are the components of a good relationship? And of course, people answer, you know, the usual things you would think of, love and trust, sharing and all that, especially trust, right? Trust comes up in various ways. And... What I would say to that is what is important is actually none of that. What's important is dealing with one's own psychological baggage, understanding yourself so thoroughly that there is no psychological baggage. That way you will not be attracted to, nor will you attract um, damaged people with compatible dysfunctions, because that's what we often do. Essentially, we don't have relationships of love and trust so much as enabling, right? Enabling our, our, cell, our worst behaviors, acceptance of our worst behaviors and that sort of thing. But if you can work out your psychological baggage and, and no longer attract that or be attracted to that, then the love, the trust, the, all of the rest of it falls into place. It's already, it's already answered. So those are symptomatic of a larger problem, which is you. You in relationship, you as a partial, unhealthy, dysfunctional person attracting like, right? And, and me and everybody, like I'm, you know, I'm not persecuting anybody. I'm saying this is the situation we find ourselves in. And until we fully understand it, uh, we ain't going to get anywhere. So how is that person to have, I mean, if we can't be honest with each other because we're not honest within ourselves nine times out of 10, who are we to even ask about an alien or, well, you know, whatever about this phenomena, about mystery, how are we to approach it 
in a healthy, fruitful way that doesn't include um, either just furthering our desires and our belief system or our lust for power. Um, how do we, because we're always looking for a way within that mind to cope with that mind, right? Like we, we keep thinking we can keep breaking things and then fix it or with the mind that broke it, but you can't, right? Like crazy can't fix crazy, right? But we are so normalized in our crazy. I mean, hell, we've built cultures on it. Uh, we're so normalized in it that we think that this is it. We call all of these foibles human nature, and we say, well, you know, we'll just write another screenplay or another play play or another book about it, and, and we'll teach ourselves, you know, through metaphor and through parable uh, how to cope with our our terrible human nature instead of actually seeing that that's not natural. But that is, in fact, I mean, it's natural in the sense that it is an extension of the dysfunction of the self, but where's the mechanism to call self into question, to call everything we know or claim to know into question and just know that I'm alive. I mean, does this just have to happen to a handful of people now and then in which in no way affects society? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, this is the, this is one of the problems. Uh, so, I guess, you know, let's not be so certain, certainly not certain, about the enigmatic other, the so-called alien or the whatever, but also let's not be certain about ourselves first. Like, we can't be certain about anything, and not in a paranoid way, but just in a, like, have a moment of silence and reflect on that sort of way. Um, hey, by the way, I, I'm just babbling along here on this. If anyone wants to join in chat, ask questions or, uh, you know, go off on a ramble, your own self, feel free. I don't know how much longer I'm going to keep this up or what else I want to talk about. Oh, I guess I will. I don't know. I, I, I feel like I've, I've outlived my welcome on, on that topic. Um, I just, it always boggles my mind that we kind of know these things, and yet we don't. We're still satisfied with dying unfulfilled to them, right? Like it, it is odd to, to me. Is it not odd to you that not you know there are so many ways to ignore this? <laughs> like you can ignore your own inner calling, your own inner sense of it, but then it comes at you in the in the way it did at me uh, of it just happening. And then uh, you can still go on with life after that. You can just be like, well, that happened. I guess I'll tweet about it and go on with life. We can invent things, right? We can make these big eureka inventions uh, that are actually unconsciously are telling ourselves what we're uh, missing inside or, you know, that sort of thing. And yet we don't see it that way. Or we can observe animals and how they do things and go, Oh, huh? Yeah, that's better. <laughs> right. You, you can, or you can go watch avatar and be like, Oh, I wish I was like that blue CGI creature. Um, man, that's an ideal way to live. And then still never, you know, just kind of feel bad about it and go on with life. This, this, I guess that's the part that's interesting because we can go on with life 
we allow ourselves the ability to do that, to live in this escapism and just call it human nature and, and say, oh, well, um, or if you're really crafty, you say, well, there's reincarnation and I'll get to it in another life. <laughs> we never do the hard work of actually understanding ourselves so deeply that the self dissolves and then whatever there be, if there be anything there, it be. Um, and this isn't just true in the West. I think this is true everywhere. It's just that in the West, um, we've really made an art out of not even talking about these questions of really just diving headfirst into surface level crap and calling that deep man. Um, and everything of course is for money and commodified. And so it's not even, uh, even, even the surface level stuff you know, is it really even about anything other than making money nine times out of 10? So yeah, we've perfected the art of avoidance, but, uh, Hey, so of Buddhists, <laughs> you know, so of Hindus in their own ways, in the ways of, you know, mapping things out and then going, that's reality. And once you quote unquote, know something that is unknowable, you're lost. And so you can give yourself all the rules you want to live in that lostness. And as well, you should, because otherwise it would be chaotic, but let's not forget that it ain't real, that it's still, it's still just maneuvering in the unhealthy partial mind. And I'm certain that even those folks at some point have the moment of realizing I'm alive and that's all I know. And in that moment, having the sense of self wiped away to the extent that, like, how you were just thinking is revealed to be uh, an illusion, is revealed to be an avoidance. So, yeah, all of that. <laughs> now, how do I squeeze that into a happy little pill for uh, podcast fans? Um, this is the problem. And... Uh, or, you know, my own personal uh, issue, I guess. It's not a problem for anyone else, really. It's just that these are the things that we need to be talking about, I feel. And before we ever talk about paranormal stuff, and yet, uh, obviously, in a paranormal podcast, people want to talk about paranormal stuff, and they feel well-equipped to do that. But even there, they generally just want to hear what they believe reflected back at them. Or they want to hear a campfire story of like, oh, that time I was abducted by aliens, that time I saw a UFO, whatever. Don't want the deeper stuff. That's boring. They don't want, you know, to hear theories even. Unless it's the, you know, same several spin-off theories that are basically moving the goalpost of like crypto-terrestrial, which means alien, alien, which means alien, or an alien from a multiverse, which means an alien, you know, like... <laughs> Or a demon, which means the Bible. Uh, a demon pretending to be an alien. Like, these are the things that people generally want to hear, and anything that deviates from that is boring. Um, but what I don't understand is, why was this stuff... And I know I'm jumping around here, folks. I, I apologize that I'm sort of mixing and matching and doing a medley of thought, but that's just, you know, that's what this is. It's life. Uh, but w w when did we... Take something that should be deep, mystery with a capital M, the unknown, possibly the unknowable. And when did we decide 
that it's not deep, it's answered. And that even that answer, you know, which should be quote unquote deep, even if you're talking about aliens or something, that it isn't. The only thing that, that we will allow that smacks of depth is the googly little butterfly feeling you get in your tummy tum tum when you hear the campfire story. Like we tend to, th- I honestly think that too many of us think, mistake that feeling you get when you're hearing a creepy story or, you know, an occult story or an alien story, that feeling you get in the, the pit of your stomach, we mistake that for depth for like, Oh, we're onto something. This is something I need to, to hear. And it's like, no, that's not the depth. That's just the feeling you're getting your tummy, tum, tum. <laughs> but like, when did philosophy get boring? Right. When did, I don't know. Uh, examining things with an open mind get boring, and when did alternative theories um, get boring? Uh, one criticism I, I I see on you know when I podcast at least uh, about the stuff is like I want more of those stories, less of your blah blah blah, you know, less thinking about what those stories could possibly mean. That's solipsism. Um. And more, you know, less abstract thinking and more concrete, this is what happened to me stuff. And it's like, (laughs) haven't you heard enough of that? Like, do we ever examine why we want to hear more of that? Or do we just keep going? Like, you want to just hear that forever and ever and ever? Do you want, like, 58 seasons of Ghost Hunters where they go into a place and they go, yep, it's haunted. And then you never, ever ask what that even is or means or anything? (laughs) Yep. We got all this data, but we're not doing anything with it. We're just telling you the ghost stories. Um, it just, everything has to be what? Uh, not just broken down into bite-sized consumables, but the same flavors that we grew up loving and we're not going to ever deviate from. I mean, it just seems like more and more this is what we're sort of turning into are these sort of... Uh, boring conform bots <laughs> and we don't even know it. We think, you know, <laughs> these folks think they're the avant-garde, right? Like everyone else is a sheeple. Uh, but here we are, we're all sheeple. And the only thing we know is I'm alive. That's it. And that's our common bond. And not just in the fact that we are physically alive, but in the fact that when you have the moment, where that comes upon you when it strikes through you the full depth of that, that you, this divorced separative critter, uh, you're wiped away. And then the, the aliveness that we all are is the apparent quote unquote thing is, is the case of us. And again, I circle back to until we deal with that, until we figure this out about ourselves, why are we talking about supposed higher intelligences or anything? Why are we speaking with certainty about them? Why are we asking any questions about them? Why are we demanding disclosure and to know what the government knows and blah, when we don't even want to disclose our full, true, healthy selves to ourselves? When we don't want to eat, and, and we know this because it's reflected in 
in our actions. It's reflected in our inventions. It's reflected in what, you know, our tastes are, likes and dislikes, and what we ignore when it comes to questions that should be deep, um, that are just consumerism. I think that's all I got on this topic. I guess uh, for those of you who just came in, maybe listen to it. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry. 